You join us on our perch at the far end of the bar. He's Ben. He's Richard. And just before, literally just before you joined us, we were musing about men's fashion. A subject uh, which we are both vast experts. Yes, uh, yeah, in. in that we had adhere to no men's fashion whatsoever. We set the fashion. Uh, we do. <laughs> the uh, leaders. In, in, that, in, in that hand into the wardrobe, whatever's on the floor, first thing out of the drawers kind of way of dressing that, that is now so hip. Where we go, others follow. And when they get there, they're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's like taking them into the centre of the wood where they've never been and all they're surrounded with is darkness. <laughs> bearing that in mind... <laughs> was there ever a moment where, where in your younger... And I always feel that, that men's fashion is something which uh, is bestowed upon the young. Um, however, you know, you do see guys. And, and funny enough, I saw a guy the other day, older guy, much older guy. I would say uh, late 70s, possibly early 80s. Mm. A man who uh, obviously believed that his life should be lived as a fashionista. A dapper man. A da- beyond dapper. Beyond dapper. He had all the accoutrements of the Milan catwalk. Mm. And he was walking down the street in Broadway, Gloucestershire. <laughs> the hotbed, the epicenter of <laughs> yes. men's fashion. This, this was not a flat cap and tweeds. This was a man who was wearing, I thought at first he was wearing a skirt. It wasn't a skirt, it was culottes. Oh my God. Yes. Culottes. Culottes. He had knee-length socks on, uh, which were silver. Right. The, the, the culottes were a kind of khaki colour. The socks were silver. The The shoes he wore had buckles <laughs> on the wow. front. They had buckles, and he wore... Uh, um, I can't, do I have the vocabulary to describe what he was wearing? I, uh, my mother would have called it a jerkin. A jerkin? Like a like a kind of a bomber jacket thing with an enormous collar and he wore <laughs> I swear to God, I am not making this up, he wore a pair of uh, sunglasses which had green lenses and yellow frames Was it Elton John? Are you sure he wasn't a man playing Aladdin just going out for his lunch break? He could have been, if it had been anywhere else apart from Broadway which is an idyllic Cotswold town, I would have said, yes, I would have been with you. I would have said, this man is a theatrical. He's on a lunch break. They're doing filming around the corner. But yeah. no, he was walking, not self-conscious, one little bit, striding out purposefully. And I, the, but, but again, the, the thing that amazed me was the fact that he, he wasn't wearing a hat. He had white hair, um, nicely trimmed. Uh, there was nothing particularly extraordinary about his hair mm. apart from the fact that it, it it gave me an insight into his age and that was late 70s early 80s do you think his hair once would have been a thing Luscious. of some beauty it probably would have been yeah well i mean this is a sort of man you see every so often don't you and they you just have to admire them was there ever a moment when when you as a young man thought I need to follow fashion. There is something that I need to add to my wardrobe that will elevate me from just 
an ordinary schmo at school to someone who the girls and possibly boys would look up to and envy. I'm trying to think. I mean, I was an indie kid, really, so I was all about, you know, long, flary jeans and long sleeve t shirts that went down past your waist with psychedelic designs on and all that sort of thing. So I wouldn't say I was ever. I do remember a particularly. Before I became an indie kid, you know when you're trying to find your way in life and you're sort of trying to become part of the crowd and I do remember a particularly awful outfit which involved a salmon pink sweatshirt mm. which I thought looked way cooler if I tucked it into my jeans. Ah. <laughs> and even now I can see my reflection <laughs> in my mind's eye. And I I reckon if I saw myself walking down the street dressed like that now, I'd probably have to abuse me. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you look like a, a, a late 70s, early 80s cartoon? Like, <laughs> like He-Man. Because in your flesh tones with this enormous chest tucked in. I like the, the tucked in look. Very good. Very what? good. You do wonder what you were thinking, don't you? I think I wonder... While I was thinking, when I think back, although you see, even now I, I have fond memories of, of my hippieish days with my very long tresses, my purple limb pants. I always wanted long hair, but I couldn't grow it. It's my my hair was too thick and just didn't it didn't work as long hair. But I've seen photos of you. Yes, very with long, flowing locks. Yes, very long, halfway down my back, long. Suited yes. you, yes, like like meatloaf. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> I don't think I was going for the meatloaf look at the time. I think it, there was, uh, it, you know, there, there were certain prog rock bands that um, uh, my hair was trying to emulate. Uh-huh. Let's put it that way. Uh, green loon pants. Green loon pants. Cheesecloth shirt. Mm. Um, uh, there were, I remember there was a, a pair of blue suede platform boots, nice. which I loved and adored. Yeah, well, you would, wouldn't you? I did. And ran for the bus in. Uh, the idea of running... Uh, uh, there were several poses of platform shoes that I wore that I ran for various modes of transport in over the years. Uh, the idea of running... Well, the idea of running these days is <laughs> probably off the table. But, but running in platform shoe. Why would... You know, and the girls and the boys would do that then. Mm. I remember my, gran my first pair of platform shoes I ever had. My granny said to me, Oh, yes, we used to have those in the 1920s. Yeah. <laughs> what goes around comes around. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I did have a leather jacket, three quarter length, mm. black leather jacket with belt, double breasted. With I, belt. I, with belt. Uh, and I did wear it with a fedora. That was uh, Hair Flick from a lower low. Thinking, uh, but Hair Flick was later. Uh, I, I was there before Hair Flick. Uh, but yes, I, I wore a fedora uh, and um, one of my very first jobs, my, the only job that I would ever hold my hand up and say was a proper job that I've ever had in life, uh, 18 months in the civil service working for the Department of Transport. Come Christmas time, uh, I was wearing this fedora and this leather coat around and the girls in the typing pool I'll pause now so as you can insert something later in the edit to explain what a typing pool is. <laughs> the girls in the typing pool said, you look like Doctor Who, but wow. where's your scarf? I said, well, you ought to knit me one. Because they, when they weren't typing, they would be in there. You could hear the clack of the knitting needles. Goodness me. And they did. 
they knitted me a Doctor Who scarf. Um, it was twice as long as anything that Tom Baker ever wore. Which is very long. It was very... It was incredibly long. It was ridiculous. When this thing was rolled up, it would take up the whole of the desk. Mm-hmm. Um, it was twice as long as that, and it was twice as wide. Mm. Which meant that to wrap it around your neck, first of all, you had to halve it. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it would sit there like a poncho on your shoulders anyway. You had to halve this thing. But once you started wrapping it more than twice around you, I mean, it would weigh you down. It sounds like you could have worn just that. Do you know what? If I knew where that was now, I could start a whole new trend, couldn't I? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you could try anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'd certainly be able to start my own website. <laughs> <laughs> Can I offer you a libation? Well, I have actually come with a bit of a thirst today. Oh, so, oh good. Uh, I'm hoping it's a good one for a change. Well, it's amazing. Well, it amazes me. Uh, certainly, that there was a, a, a rise of um, Alco pops, wasn't there? About oh, like, yeah. Ages ago now. Hooch. Yeah, all kinds the, of stuff. The lemon one, Hooch. I remember that very well. All kind of playing to the idea that there were... There was a generation of people who'd grown up enjoying lemonade and weren't really beer drinkers. Mm. Um, so they, they created these alco pops, which were basically alcoholic pop drinks. But the brewers kind of fought back and started to add sweetness to their brews as well. And I just come across a few because I, I, I wondered about chocolate because I know they very often they put chili and cheese and chocolate and things together, but whether or not they put chocolate in beer. If this ends up with some sort of alcoholic hot chocolate drink, I'm just going to say yes now. Let me, let me just <laughs> let me walk you through three possible libations that, that you may want to go for. Okay. The first one is called a chocolate cherry stout. Hmm. It has a high alcoholic content, 5.5%. Yeah. The, the people at Firestone Walker make this. Cherry Stout. Um, it's everything that you would expect from its name, says the blurb. <laughs> but delicately balanced in a way that most flavoured stouts are not these days. Because yeah, that is a problem these days, isn't it, with the flavoured stouts? Oh, it is. Oh, it is. I, I find this. <laughs> when we go to the bar together, we think, oh, my goodness me. It's not like the old days oh, no, when they, those, when those... they had the flavoured stouts just right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where are you with a stout? I'm not a big fan of cherry coke or, you know, I, Dr. Knew, Pepper, no, that sort of no, thing. Well, so, well, Dr. Pepper for me tastes like, um, what does it taste like? Soap. Pepper, soap, it's, it's just, oh, yeah. I, you know, fine if you like it, but don't make me drink it. Um, no. And I don't mind a stout. Uh, I mean, I, listen, I, I try it and I uh, approach it with an open mind. Yes. Which is more than can be said for a lot of the drinks you've tried to pass my way. Let me try you with this one. Okay. Midnight Malt Cocoa Porter. Now, a porter is a stout, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. A chocolate stout. This is a Midnight Malt Cocoa Porter. Let me read you the blurb. When you see chocolate or cocoa on a beer label these days, it's often used in abundance. So these days. So you could almost close your eyes and imagine you're drinking a milkshake or a dark chocolate syrup. <laughs> there is a time and a place for everything. But let's pause for a moment. 
to appreciate the quietly refreshing simplicity of a balanced porter that doesn't hit you over the head with its cocoa. For those craving a return to the dark and toasty, debittered and unsweetened porters of old, Pelican's Midnight Malt will delight <laughs> your senses. It's funny because I was just saying to the missus the other day, do you know what? I'm absolutely pining for a return to the dark and toasty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't you love it? Are you trying to offer me a drink or uh, secure Audition. the contract for their their next advert? <laughs> <laughs> Always available for voiceover. Um, but my third and final one, I, I don't know, this doesn't even sound uh, like a drink to me. It sounds like something else. This is the Big Bad Baptist Double Chocolate Double Peanut Butter Cup. Right. Double Chocolate Double Peanut Butter Big Bad Baptist Double Chocolate Double Peanut Butter Cup. Okay. Brought to us by the people at Epic Brewery, who I understand from further reading, have a history of novelty beers. Um, they produced something called the Chocolate Rapture in 2019. Uh, and then later <laughs> came up... <laughs> Hello, darling. Would you like a Chocolate Rapture? Mm. Uh, and then they came up with this. By combining previous alternates of chocolate and peanut butter Baptist variants, the brewery pleases both crowds by doubling up, wait for it, on the fudge and nut butter. Oh my goodness. For twice the stuffed stout. Do you need twice the stuffed stout? <laughs> it's time to double up on the fudge and nut butter. The heaping help of Reese's peanut butter cup. I do like a Reese's peanut butter cup, in fairness. Well, it is. It's, it's that melted into your beer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the heaping up of the Reese's peanut butter cup ingredients helps the 13.5% proof wow. whiskey barrel aged liquid. So when they finish with the whiskey barrels, they put this stuff in it. Goodness go down me. smoother like peanut butter whiskey and a double fudge brownie. I can just see the development meeting now. It's very good. <laughs> Double everything. <laughs> I'll have another fudge, please. <laughs> Silly ass. <laughs> Is there anything there I can tempt you with? No. I'm, I'm going for the first one out of oh, the yeah. three. Okay. Yeah. Lovely. The chocolate cherry stout. We'll get one ordered for you. Got something you want to tell us? Email thefarendofthebar at gmail.com or find us on Insta, Twitter or Facebook using the hashtag TFEOTB. What comes into your mind when you hear the word sonar? Submarines? Bats? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. Well, experts... By which I mean actual bona fide animal behavioural science experts reckon there's been an escalating battle between hawk moths and predatory bats that's been going on for years. Oh, really? Yeah. So a bat versus a moth, you're going you're gonna to back the bat, aren't you, every time? The hawk moth is a big beast, though. It is a big beast. But the bat can hunt it in the dark. Yeah, they can't see very well, but they've got that amazing ability to pinpoint the location of even the tiniest midge. Yeah, 
So that must make them favourite when it comes to catching something as big as a hawk moth, you'd think. You'd think. Apparently not. Ooh, sting in the tail. The moths are fighting back. And this is the genius bit. These clever people have discovered that the hawk moth has worked out a way to ward off the bats by jamming the bat's sonar. And they do this by vigorously jiggling their genitals. Of course they do. <laughs> darling, what, what's that moth doing? Don't worry, <laughs> darling. I'll explain later when you're older. Similar to the way humans have developed methods to block enemy radar and sonar, although we make rather less use of our balls to achieve what the moths manage. Indeed. We use white noise to flood the radar frequency, right? And that renders radar useless. Although there are some ships of the fleet that have the entire crew on the deck jumping up and down. Yes, absolutely. Vigorous star jumps. <laughs> <laughs> so in one of those areas of research which begs the question... Who decided this needed to be discovered? Yeah. Clever people, or as the sun would have them, boffins. Boffins. At Boys State University and Florida Museum of Natural History imitated a big brown bat. I think they popped down the local dressing up shop and made as if to attack some male and female hawk moths while recording the response of the moths, right? And they discovered that when threatened... The hawk moths rubbed their genitals against their abdomens to create an ultrasonic response which blocks the sonar signals from the bats and renders that particular part of their attack useless. We have bats. You have bats? We have bats. Are they attacking you? Because you know what to do if they are. I do. <laughs> we, uh, we stand on the balcony of an evening. Uh, at, uh, certainly at, uh, in, the, in the early autumn, late summer, early autumn, and they swoop. Uh, and they flow around. Uh, me and Mrs. Lewis will try jiggling our genitals. Well. To see if it makes any difference whatsoever. I would pay good money to see you dress as a hawk moth. In that case, <laughs> I shall be starting a website. <laughs> available each late summer, early autumn for the genital jiggling to um, ward off the bats. Video one is you wearing your giant scarf and nothing else. <laughs> And video two is you dressed as a hawk moth, <laughs> jumping around, making your balls bounce <laughs> to fight off the bats. Oh. Where do we sign up? www.richardlewisjigglinggenitals.com <laughs> Do we just call it RL's Jiggling Genitals? <laughs> Good God. Pub quiz. Always up for a pub quiz. Just one question this week. Nothing, Ooh. no multiple choice, nothing like that. I'm not doing the true and false. I've got one question. Come with me to a Victorian house, if you would. Exactly as it was laid out in Victorian times. Mm -hmm. I take you through the front door. I lead you up the stairs. Do you? And we come to a room. Am I following willingly or... Are you wearing just the scarf or is it... <laughs> I'm wearing the bat wings. <laughs> I'm dressed as a hawk moth. Um, we come to a room where the door is locked. And I say, in this room, there is, uh, there is something. 
uh, which has piqued your interest already, because obviously the door is closed. I say this, this is the sluttery. The sluttery. What would you expect to find behind the door? Well, I've got a feeling that being a slut in Victorian times is slightly different to the connotations encouraged by the word these days. So I think being a slut in Victorian times, but yeah, why would they be behind locked doors? Well, I think there's a slut in Victorian times with people that, um, you know, didn't keep the house very well, for example, weren't very good at doing the washing, left the washing up piled up on the sink, uh, weren't very good with the, uh, what's that thing, mate? the mangle. The mangle. Yeah. Was it where they kept the mangle? Well, they keep it behind a locked door, the mangle. I never said it was locked. I just said it was a closed door. Oh, a closed door. Oh, well, in that case, it's where they kept the mangle and the people that operated it. You're not a million miles away, certainly. Oh, I not? No, you're not. You're, you're on the right track all the way through that. In fact, if not on the nail, because a sluttery, according to the Victorians, is an untidy room. Yeah. So you keep the doors closed because you wouldn't want to see them wouldn't want people to see your untidy room and all kinds of stuff would be thrown. It would, it would be like our back bedroom which in our case, we call it the back bedroom, it's the front of the house. I've no idea why we call it the back bedroom but we do. <laughs> it's called the back bedroom because I think a lot of people just put stuff in the back bedroom, the bedroom okay. that isn't used or not, um, not used very often. The word sluttery dates from the early 1840s, obviously derived from the word slut, as you say, and I love mm -hmm. the way that you work this out. Today, the word means a sexually promiscuous woman. It does. And mm. If you look it up, that's what it says. But it didn't always have that same sexual connotation, which is why the Victorians used it to describe a messy room. The OED's first definition, and it goes back to 1402, this word. A woman, a slut, a woman of dirty, slumly, or untidy habits or appearance. A foul slattern. Uh, and if you go back to Chaucer, as I know you do. Uh, yeah. Um, the Canterbury Tales uh, wasn't exactly throwing shade on anyone's sexual practices either. Use the term sluttish to refer to the man's messy appearance. Mm. So it was, it was to do with being messy and untidy. The sexual connotations don't seem to have come into general use until the 20th century, when a woman who's bad at housekeeping somehow morphed into a woman who can't keep her knickers on, and therefore a bad person. Uh, a sluttery is a messy room, much like my office. Yeah. <laughs> I live in a sluttery. I've got a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old in the house at the moment. Both. There's definitely a couple of sletteries up there. There you go. This is a word that we should encourage uh, use of. I'm I'm off to the sluttery. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna send them up to bed in their sluttery. That thing about keeping the door closed, we definitely do. Yes. In case we have any visitors. Yeah, but it's like when uh, when people um, arrive unexpectedly and and you go around quickly. Oh, you see them coming out the garden path. Quick, put that away. Yeah. You know, it comes in the most innocent thing in the world. You have to make sure in our house the toilets are, uh, toilets on the landing. If the boys' doors are open, they can see into the slatteries yeah, yeah. on the way to the loo. That's not going to be good. Close all doors. The best thing I find is not to let anybody in. Indeed. I stumbled across this the other day. It's a, every so often you find on the web 
a, a site that offers genuinely useful advice. So the people at Simplicity Cremations ah. uh, have uh, offered some advice of things that you might like to write in your sympathy card. So we're sorry for your loss. You're in our thoughts during this difficult time. Uh, I was saddened to hear of your loss. Um, or perhaps something longer, if you wanted to be a, a, a bit more uh, uh, verbose, you could say, uh, may memories of Doris and the love of family surround you and give you strength in the days ahead. And uh, I can't imagine what you must be feeling right now. I want you to know that we are just a phone call away. My heartfelt condolences. All good advice. They also offer things to avoid writing on sympathy cards and funeral flowers and this tickled me here are some of the options they suggest you don't write it's for the best <laughs> <laughs> everything happens for a reason <laughs> don't write that no they're in a better place now oh yeah <laughs> it'll get easier in time no don't say no. that and no. perhaps perhaps this is the one that really got me it could be worse. <laughs> How? How could it be? That is the ultimate, isn't it? Death is the ultimate. It cannot get any worse. I mean, the fact that they've thought to write that on their website suggests the people at Simplicity Cremations over the years have seen cards of course they have. where people have written... And much worse, I dare say. It could be worse. There was a, I, uh, there was a post on um, somebody on my Facebook the other day uh, had posted uh, a, quite a somber photograph and said uh, something along the lines of uh, uh, tough day ahead we will be laying our dear friend to rest and somebody the first person to reply to it had replied to it with lots of kisses and hearts and, and party balloons and, and streamers and things <laughs> and said oh have a lovely day <laughs> and, then, and then underneath she, she said I'm going to a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, but I mean, it was, as I say, it was quite a somber photograph, but I, I think it was like an early morning autumnal, the, the, the mist uh, with the sun coming through. It, it was a non-committal, you know, generic photograph that had been found from somewhere or other. Uh, and they just looked at that and said, oh, have a lovely day. Yeah. <laughs> The toe-curling, when, when that person realised, if they did. This is the problem there with social media, isn't it? You spend your time scrolling through, scrolling through, speed-reading post after post after post, and, yeah, that's going to happen in, inevitably every so often. It, well, well, without any shadow of a doubt. Tremendous social faux pas. The number of people who get the wrong end of the stick on social media. Mm. I mean, we, we, could, we could be here for the rest of our lives uh, reading out examples of that. Yeah. Uh, which is why social media has become what it has you know, yeah. I, I used to think that Twitter was, a, was quite a fun thing mm. but it's just a vile cesspool these days well it? it's, it's a mixture of the two isn't it, it can be quite a fun thing and it can be quite a heartwarming place as oh, well indeed. where you, you know lots of positive things happen um, but then what can often happen is it's like uh, we're just after uh, Emma Raducanu winning the US Open right and initially there was this burst of amazing celebratory messages and everybody being really happy. And then within 12, 24 hours, it's turned into a discussion about her heritage 
um, people on one side saying, well, why are you making such a big deal of it? And people on the other side saying, well, you know, why are you being so supportive of her when you voted to eject all the foreigners out of the country? And, oh, it's just, just enjoy it for the moment, yeah. can we? Yeah, yeah. It's so, She's 18. so difficult to enjoy things just for the moment these days. Yeah. Uh, my final thing today is a missing letter. Okay. There is a missing letter from the English alphabet. Is there? Yeah. Do you know what it is? So there should be 27 letters. Yeah, well, there, there were 27. There were 27. Uh, if you live in England, you'll know that there are some signs that like to conjure up a feeling of the past. Mm. You, you will see that I mentioned Broadway, a, a town in Gloucestershire, beautiful place, kind of captured in, a, in an age that will never come again. Right. And you will see signs like ye olde tea rooms. Ye olde, yes. Well, focus on the ye. Mm. Ye, where does ye come from? What does ye mean? It means the, doesn't it? There you go. It means the. So why would you use ye instead of the? So why would you use y instead of th in the spelling of the or the? Why would you do that? I'll tell you, in the 1400s, the English alphabet had a, had a letter called a thorn. It's the missing letter from our alphabet. Okay. If you can imagine the letter B, small yeah. case B, and then extend the line down so that it looks like a B sitting on top of a P. Right. Right, so one little uh, circle in the middle and two lines. One mm -hmm. above the line and one below. That was a thorn. And it represented the sound made by the letters TH. Okay. So the would be written with a thorn and then an E. Right. Okay. So if you go back to the ancient scriptures, if you do some research, looking at your family history or wherever, you, you come back to the 1400s, the was written with a thorn and then an E. Okay. But when the first printing presses were introduced to England in the 1470s, the type from non-English speaking countries, because that's where the printing presses came from, yeah. didn't include a thorn. Yeah. So the printers thought, well, what are we going to use then? So they used a Y instead of the thorn. So this is pretty much... Um, how it went until the 1600s when T and H took over from the Y and ye became the again. And that's the let missing letter from the alphabet. So where did it go? Well, it just disappeared because... Now, I mean, if you were saying A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, or J, whereabouts in the alphabet was it placed? That's a very, very... I don't know. Is it after the B? I don't know. Before the P? I'll have to research that and come back to you. Between the S and the T? Uh, the, uh, <laughs> as I say, as I say, I, I have no idea. But it's, oh. what I do know is that there is another symbol which was part of the alphabet. So although the thorn was there and then disappeared after the, the printers kind of mangled it up, there was another letter, another symbol, and that's the ampersand. Okay. A squiggly symbol on your keyboard that represents the word and. 
and it's considered a corruption of the phrase per se and and. Don't ask me to explain that. But the and. ampersand, although we, we am, the ampersand is per se and and. So it would represent that phrase. What, what phrase? So you could per se and and. Is that a phrase? Yes. It's not one that we would use very much down the pub when ordering our chocolate bloody stout. But well, maybe at the end of the night, we yeah. say, per se, and and. and, and. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it goes, per se, and and. <laughs> but that's what it represented. So it wasn't just a, 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 a symbol that represented a letter like the rest of the alphabet. It actually represented a phrase. Dating back 1,500 years, during the 1800s, it became part of the English alphabet, mm. the ampersand. And I can tell you where it went. It went uh, right at the end. It was X, Y, Z, ampersand. And they used to say, they didn't say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, R, G, K, L, M, no, Q, R, S, D, U, W, X, Y, Z, ampersand. They would say X, Y, Z, per se. And, and. No, no, they would just say per se, just to confuse it even more. X, Y, Z, per se. And that's, that's how they had the ampersand as the 27th letter of the alphabet. So there are two contenders for the missing letter of the alphabet. One which was there and got kicked out because the German printers came over and didn't have a thorn. Okay. And then the other one, which kind of just dropped off because people weren't using it properly because they couldn't understand per se, and and. <laughs> uh, but it's still there, still used. Sign writers use it all the time. We use it. It's there on the keyboard, above the number seven on your keyboard, the mm -hmm. ampersand. And at one point, it was a letter of the alphabet. Well, there we go. Well, I think we've, uh, I think we've done well there, because what we've done is we've managed to end this episode of the podcast on a thorny issue oh! without too much controversy. Good God, man. I like the way you could have, in the olden days, when television was just about to close down, <laughs> an announcer would say, and now the epilogue. Would they? I thought they'd say, and now the national anthem. Oh, no, before the national anthem, they'd say, and now the epilogue. When someone like you would come along and say, Good night. <laughs> <laughs> would say what? exactly what you just said. Oh, about the thorny just, issue. Just wrap up the evening. Oh, they have a little yeah, thing just, that summed yes. up everything. Wow. Well, Instead suppose... of a thought for the day, it would be an epilogue, the last word of the evening. And then the whole of the television network would shut down at around about half past ten. If you want final words, if you want the final word, you could try Oscar Wilde, who, as he lay dying in his bed, said, my wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. One or the other of us has to go. <laughs> Until the next time, from the far end of the bar, it's goodbye from him. Cheers now. From me. Bye. That's time at the far end of the bar. You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. If you enjoyed your time with us, Please don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you catch the next episode. And find us on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTV or email us 
at the far end of the bar at gmail.com. Cheers! <laughs>